0: Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, Simplifying Concepts Without Sacrificing Depth. And we're on to episode two of Colin in Black and White. So if you have not yet watched Colin in Black and White on Netflix, I highly recommend it. It's a, I don't know what you call it, docu-series about Colin Kaepernick's upbringing. Amazing. And my friend Raheem Andrews and I, we've been watching it together. We've, we both have watched it multiple times, but then we watch an episode together and then talk about that episode. So we, we've done one already. You can go back a few episodes ago on Things About Things, and it's season one, episode one, Corn Rose. And the other day, we talked about season one, episode two, and that episode was called Quarterbacking. And... Same thing, we just watched the episode, jotted down some notes and decided to just talk through some things. I asked Raheem some questions about some parts that came up in the episode that I wanted to hear his perspective. As a black man in the United States, in the southeast part of the United States, has he experienced the kinds of things that were in that episode? Some of the microaggressions that were there, some of the phrases, phraseologies, questions, how they were worded, how they were asked. Has he experienced those things? How did that make him feel? And again, if you have not yet watched, go to Netflix, watch season one, episode one, if you haven't done that yet, then go to season episode two called Quarterbacking. So go ahead and press pause if you haven't watched that. Go to Netflix, watch that, then press unpause to listen to this conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it, and I'm sure, like me, you will learn something
1: yeah,
2: the, right off the bat in episode two, Colin uses the phrase white man's stamp of approval. And I feel like that's, that's one of the themes of that episode. I, I, I picked up on, you know, several, several things that could be think, seen as the main idea or main theme, but it, it seems like that is one of them, if not the primary one, uh, white man's stamp of approval. In his case, he was talking about, becoming a quarterback and that the the episodes about how much he wants to be a quarterback. And so there's so much there, even what a quarterback is literally and symbolically, but do you want to talk about that phrase and how you feel about that phrase? White man stamp of approval. Do you agree with that being a thing that exists? Have you ever experienced anything like that?
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely something that exists and definitely something that i've had to deal with in my life i just never had the term for it um i think that's a great way to to term it because i think of like black quarterbacks in the nfl and these black quarterbacks i guarantee at some point in their career were tr- were tried or were attempted to turn into a different position cuz you have to have this stamp. You have to have this mold, which is white quarterback six, five, you know, great arm. But I mean, then you have a Lamar Jackson or a Michael Vick or, or uh, Kyler Murray who are just speed demons and change the game completely for black quarterbacks and Cam Newton. And what that took was a white man's stamp of approval because there's only white owners in the NFL. Um, so, you know, like the owner at the end of the day has the end all be all for, um, who they draft, who they're bringing to the organization, who they're signing, who you want as your franchise quarterback, you know? And, um, I'd probably say I've been through that myself with. Trying to oh, <laughs> so with trying to uh, even um, do the protests that I did, um, if I don't coordinate with local police, I don't get half the crowd that I did, um, and I and I say that because the media try to make it a black versus white thing or black versus cop thing and that's what it never should have been it was just human rights issue you're killing black people who are unarmed you know and i had to in my town had to play this game to change the game with hey can you walk up front with us um and i mean i got a lot of a lot of stick from my friends about that and stuff and like the type of message but like this is it's boone north carolina you have to know where you're at you know like i i can't just just like try and do this alone because it's not gonna work if i did and getting the people in like my stepmom always says if you like Let me get my foot in the door for an interview. It's over. Like, I'm going to get the job. Like, I'm going to blow you away in an interview. So that's how I kind of viewed it. If I can get you in the door, if I can get you at the protest, I'm going to, you know, say what I need to say and hopefully educate and spread some love. But yeah, I think that was definitely a big time of white man stamp of approval for me to do that because I had the chief of police vetting for me to the public.
2: Well, there's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. I think first being what where you started was quarter, NFL quarterback white owners of teams. Uh, however, in that episode, Colin Kaepernick says, "You know, seventy percent of the NFL is black, but it, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's about a third of, or a little bit less than a third of quarterbacks are black, and that's an all time high. So mm-hmm. the white owners are fine with." drafting and putting black people on the field and in uniform. Why is the quarterback position different? And why, why is that an exception more than the rule? Why aren't there, you know, approximately 70% of quarterbacks? So they're not, they're not preventing black people from playing football. They're preventing black people from being quarterback.
1: Why?
3: I think yeah that's a that's a tough tough take there um your quarterback is your your leader he's your field general but he's also your face of the franchise most of the time Mm -hmm. and like i was recently in buffalo and the amount of statues posters billboards you see of josh allen is i've never seen that before we didn't even do that here in carolina when cam newton was having his mvp season like These people in Buffalo go so hard for Josh Allen and really any bill, but I view it more so as, yeah, I want a I want a black running back. He's my workhorse. I'm going to work him to death. I want a black lineman. He's going to protect my money, my franchise, my face of my franchise, my leader, my quarterback. Um, I got a wide receiver. He's going to put his body on the line every single play in the middle of the field of defenders who want to literally end him and we're going to throw him the ball and you know that might not be the strict case but your quarterback is your face and I think that we still kind of live in a systemic world of like not re- really ready to give that all up like Lamar Jackson had to sit behind a Joe Flacco for a year why Lamar Jackson is world's better than Joe Flacco out of college. He was better, you know, uh, Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray might've been a, a immediate starter, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm trying to think who else. Um, Cam Newton isn't starting right now, which is in, in itself. He, he did. That is a performance thing because he came back and he had his <laughs> opportunity and it was, just not great for us but um yeah I'm trying to think who else because he said a third and I know I'm missing someone but I can't think of it the especially in the playoffs right now you know you got Dak Prescott who uh, yeah it's it's just hard I think you have to have that approval to actually get that I think owners aren't ready to just let anyone be quarterback I guess in a sense it's yeah it's a hard question
2: it is a hard question my my theory based on some of the things that were said in the episode as well as some things that I've actually heard people say um that like the the coach that put him on Colin on the freshman team instead of the JV team in in the episode two he said And I I scribbled it down, so I don't know if this is exactly how he said it, but the essence of it was that he was like, quarterbacks need more than just natural talent. And he goes into something like they need to lead the team and they need to read defenses and they need, you know, and I've heard people talk about that when it comes to black quarterbacks. I've heard that kind of talk my whole life. And my theory is it's a very – deeply embedded racist thought that black people are not intelligent. That's, that's what I think it's about. It's a, it's, it's all the other players on the field. They can just run around and be talented, but the quarterback has to be smart, which of course, none of that is true. Every, every position has to be intelligent, but I think that, um, I think that that's the thought is they, they have to read so many things and know they have to know all the things, not just one positions things. And yeah. And by saying we need – because there was nothing about – and, of course, this is this is a – we're watching a – what's it called? Like a reenactment with actors, so we, we don't really know what happened. But we do know that Colin Kaepernick became a Super Bowl quarterback, so we know right. that it was good at some point. He got to where he is for a reason. But mm-hmm. anyway, so assuming that that what we saw is how it went down is – that he showed that he was better quarterback than the other guy. There's no reason to think that he wasn't, there's no reason to think that he wasn't intelligent enough to be a quarterback. There's no reason to think that he couldn't read the defenses. There's no reason to think that he couldn't understand those things. And so I think it was that, that systemic and deeply embedded racist assumption,
3: especially black male. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big thing when Cam Newton was coming out of college. They were saying that um, he couldn't read defenses on an NFL caliber and he wouldn't be able to do that. And the offensive coordinator would have to dumb it down for him. Was, There's was a lot of talk of that when he was coming out that's of college. Horrible.
2: Yeah, that's horrible. Uh, I mean, on a, on a side note, I'm not a huge fan of rookies starting in the NFL. In general, even if they are bet, quote unquote better, because I don't think, well, there are plenty of exceptions, but in, in general, I don't think that going in going from college where you had to go to school, and you're yeah you're watching film and you you know what you're doing but it wasn't your full time, mm. well I mean it was a lot of hours but you know what I mean it wasn't your whole career yet you go to a new system. I actually do think that every rookie quarterback needs some time to learn how to do that stuff, Mm. you know, regardless of their color, their skin. I just think, man, some of these guys are just getting put on the field when they're 21 years old and they're against these guys that have been professionals for a decade. And they're just, it's really hard to win when you're brand new, but Uh, yeah it's cam's a whole nother conversation man (laughs) i've been a panthers fan since they were created as a team and i've seen cam play the whole time and watched him and he's amazing but it's so frustrating (laughs) it's so
1: frustrating
3: i I think cam's at a part of his career where he does not care more so about the football but more so maybe the status of it because I mean, he just isn't. You could tell he doesn't have the fire that he used to like in 2015 when we went to the Super Bowl. Right? like, I, I don't know, our offensive line is trash, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's been hard to watch his demise and his fall. There's something about I, he, reminds, he
2: sometimes the way he throws reminds me of. Did you ever watch Brett Favre play or is that
3: before your time? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I think I watched back end of Brett Favre. He was like Minnesota Viking, a little bit of Green Bay.
2: Yeah. Well, he threw the ball so hard. Yeah. And Cam Newton, sometimes he'll throw a pass and there's like this little slant route and he throws it so hard. And oftentimes if it's not, if it's really hard, if it's not in the exact right place, it'll cause some sort of deflection and interception where he didn't have to throw it so damn hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So true even when his arm was hurt, he was throwing that ball so hard. Yeah. Um, anyway, so going back and then and then separately, what was the other thing you t- talked about quarterback, and then you talked about when you organized that the justice rally. Uh, so what I hear you saying is you felt like you needed the white man's stamp of approval, but your example was that it was law enforcement stamp of approval. Is, did you make that jump because the law enforcement in Boone is almost completely white?
3: Yeah, um, that's definitely a part of it. The, the hardest part of planning that whole thing was trying to make sure that everyone that came out to that was safe. Yeah, that was my first and foremost thing. And, you, and it's so ironic because my community was it is unsafe in situations with police, you know, like watching George Floyd and the little girl get up there and say, "I called the police on the police. I didn't know who to call who was I supposed to call um and she's like a little ten year old girl that's gonna traumatize her for the rest of her life, and I think. The threats that I got, death threats, people saying they're gonna drive through the crowd, people saying like a lot the KKK in Johnson City saying they're gonna come to my march and stuff like that. like it, it was more so. I didn't really care what they were going to do to me. more so, people who came out there to support me and support the cause and protest,. Uh, safely was my most important thing so that was probably the initial process that my dad was like you should do this because the first march the week before mine there was a guy walking around with like some big machete or something oh my gosh did I hang up on you no no no. this um this big like machete on his back or something like that trying to intimidate people and uh I didn't want anything escalated to with like a crowd of 1300 people sure but in retrospect the the grandmas on their on their facebook talking about me who don't know me and just saying that like i was paid to come to boone to do a protest and saying that i didn't know what i was talking about i was coming to burn down king street that just don't know me I hope I was able to pull some of those people by the chief of police vetting for me. Mm -hmm. And even if they didn't come, I'm sure that upset them. And that's good. I'm glad they were upset by that. (laughs) But, and that's why my biggest message, I hope people took home from that was like, go tell your neighbor what you felt today. Go tell your aunt, your uncle who didn't want to come. It was totally against this. Tell them what you heard today and tell them how it made you feel. And I promise it will make an impact.
2: Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could respond to something that Colin, like his character, when he was a freshman in high school in the show, what is what he said. And so he was basically trying to get to the place of showing the coach that he could, that he could be a quarterback.
1: hmm
2: and the guy said, "You know, he's not ready." And this other guy is more what he, the prototype he's looking for, which I want to get into that in a little while. But mm. um, he, his dad says, well, just prove them, just prove them wrong." And Colin says, "Why? Why am I always the one that has to prove them wrong?"
1: Mm.
2: And I was wondering how that that question makes you feel if you've ever felt that. Like you, you're. Or do you feel like you have to overcome?
1: Uh, negative stereotypes and do you ever resent if if that is
2: the case do you resent that mm. do you ever feel like that do why do i always have to be the one to prove them wrong do you
3: ever feel that yeah i think like colin in that situation when i was younger i did resent that very much i i did hate that i had to be four times Better or work four times harder at something to have half of something someone else in my class might have. Um, I think that that for sure, that that hit home for sure. Why do we have to? Why do I have to play the game this way? Why do I have to do it this way? It's It's tough. I think as I've grown up, I've just accepted that it's just going to be that way for me. I'd be naive to think it isn't. I'd be naive to think I could put in a job application or uh, anything in that sort of nature and think I'm not going to have to blow you away with my interview, even though my resume could speak for itself. You know? And it's been, yeah, it's tough to hear a kid say that because I know like my little sister going through high school sees this stuff now and is starting to understand it now because she's been so protected. But now you're at the big house of the there's 1500 kids there. And like, now you're seeing a lot of different things that you haven't seen when you were going to just blowing rock by yourself. And you've gone there since kindergarten. So like everyone knew you always. So her, my cousin, Kyle, as they go through these types of situations, it's just something a black kid has to learn is that you're going to have to work harder for this stuff. And i I don't know what to do. i it's hard because like it shouldn't be that way, but who am I to go tell my CEO and in retrospect, we have a very, very progressive CEO at Duke Energy. I really love her, and she's like a, as i as I know, a great person, but like a fortune Five hundred company, Who am I to go tell that CEO or founder? hey, take these names off of resumes. Let's do nameless resumes, Hey, let's do like cameraless interviews on Zoom. you know, like it's hard and it's sad. It's very sad to even think that way. I haven't thought that way in a while of like me having to work harder, and why do I always have to prove someone else wrong? Mm. it's a it's a load that you have to carry it's it's a and it's tough. It's not fair course it's not fair but it's just something that I I've accepted yeah well there was
2: something that happened in the episode that again the theme or one of the themes being white man's stamp of approval and then you know Colin wanting to be a quarterback and for him that's a that was a literal thing the literal quarterback but then there's kind of this theme in general of quarterback kind of being a symbol of leadership or the face of an organization, you know, or, you know, uh, higher up on the org chart kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what happens in that episode is his dad makes a phone call. Remember he knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy that can, that does like elite quarterback coaching. Correct. Uh, So I would describe that as his dad, Colin's dad, who, for anyone who hasn't seen the show, Colin's dad is white, but more specifically, mm-hmm. it's his adopted father. Correct. So not his his bio, not his biological father, but his anyway, but the man that raised him, who's mm-hmm. white. He I would describe it as he leveraged his privilege to make that phone call. And that he he leveraged the white man's stamp of approval for the sake of his son. So I guess my question is, is that a good thing? It's not a good thing that the white man's stamp of approval is needed in our culture. But Mm. it is. if it is needed, is it a good thing for white people to leverage their privilege in order to usher that in?
3: I think so. I think that is a good thing because, like I was saying earlier, you have to play the game sometimes to change the game you know, you get enough of these approvals and then it could switch over and it could, the tide could turn and it could yeah. flip a little bit more. You know, these quarterback gurus are a real thing. I see them in Charlotte all the time, mm-hmm. um, at, at the parks out here and they'll run these quarterbacks like crazy. Um, even with my little cousin and, and Boone, I'll put him through crazy quarterback drills and like, ask him how bad does he want it? There's a kid, um, who how Wataga works is you're farmed early um, farm system early and they kind of already picked their quarterback probably by eighth grade. Who's going to be that guy, you know? And my cousin started going to blowing rock this year, wanted to be the quarterback got there and was turned into a running back. But, you know, I never, and my dad was like upset about that. Because he wasn't even starting at running back. My dad was very upset about that. And he was like, can you talk to him? And I was like, well, I, I didn't know the guy. Mm-hmm. But I knew that, I know that when my cousin gets to Wataga, I know the athletic director. And he's a good man. And I know I wouldn't have to go to him and say, give my cousin a fair chance. But if I had to, I would leverage my relationship with him to give my cousin at least a fair chance. You know, it, that's what any kid wants. All these kids who want to play sports deserve a fair chance to yeah. get better, be great, put in the work, improve themselves, yeah. you know? And I know my cousin's going to check off all the boxes, all of those boxes. And I'm sh- sure other kids there will too, yeah. but I know I wouldn't have to go to him hopefully, mm-hmm. and say, give my cousin a fair chance. Maybe when I was in high school with basketball, I didn't have any leverage. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a fair chance. It was a money thing. There is no reason why there's a couple guys in front of me that should have been playing in front of me. It's just not, it was even logical. But then I, I know that there was money involved and I know that there was cards being bought and stuff. So- I didn't even have a chance, you know, so.
2: Yeah. So you, what you're describing is if a hypothetical future, you would leverage your privilege, but it's, that's not, not white privilege. That's based on right. relationship with the athletic director. But mm-hmm. I guess you're to circle back. You're kind of saying whoever you are, it's good to leverage that privilege for the sake of people to give them a fair chance. Cause your yeah. cousin, cause your cousin may or may not be a good quarterback. I don't know. Like, he just needs to get the fair chance. And there are a lot of people with sports, if you play certain sports, like, for instance, football, a lot of people want to be the quarterback because they want to be the main guy
1: or girl. Mm. All right. Uh,
2: but not everybody is is good enough for it, right? And uh, and for me, my I, you know, I played shortstop in college, and there were so many times that it was like, you know, there's already a shortstop and you came here and you already have somebody ahead of you. Would you want to do second base? And I'm like, I'm a shortstop. And it was like the same, right. But, um, when you, whenever you add negative stereotypes to that is when it really screws everything up. I mean, it's, it's normal for all people to say, no, 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 I'm this position. That's what I want. And then for a coach to say, you know what? We don't think you are. We think you're this other thing that happens all the time. That's not inherently wrong. It's just yeah. it's just wrong when there's a really strong percentage about only one race and only one position.
3: I agree because you can't have twenty-two quarterbacks on a team. You know, every kid does want to be the quarterback, but I, I say that because, and I've and I've talked to my cousin about this, mm-hmm. and the system that Watoga runs and will run. I'm sure the coach, Coach Hobbick will be there until kyle's and and probably after that he's a great coach but they run a running system they don't throw that ball maybe you might see five throws a game uh it's a lot of trickery it's a lot of uh, you know different formation motions and i was like if you want to go to the next level i wouldn't mind playing quarterback here if you want to go to the next level though because I don't think Kyle will be big enough for a quarterback position. And in retrospect, I could be wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Because Kyler Murray, like,
3: Drew Brees, yeah, yeah, they're they're smaller. And um, but I also, yeah, it, it's hard because I think he is the best option for a Wisconsin quarterback. That's correct but I think he would be a better running back, but I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to take that away from him. If he wants to be a quarterback, we're going to, when we're out there training, we're training for him becoming quarterback. We're not training for running back. Um, I might do a couple like throws to him to like, maybe if they put him in that position, you know, but when we're out there, we're training for him becoming quarterback Because if, he doesn't believe in himself, then no one will. He believes that he can be it. I'm going to back him. You know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, back to that, the white privilege and, or the white stamp of approval. I mean, if you have it in like, maybe Kyle's eighth grade coach comes up to his JV coach next year and says, Hey, you should give Kyle a shot at quarterback guarantee. He'll get that shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guarantee he will get that shot versus me coming and saying, "Hey, you should give Kyle that chance." I don't even know who the JV coach is at Wataga, um, and probably not going to go. Probably not going to take a lot of validity to what I'm saying.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, uh, Colin also said when when he was talking to that that quarterback coach, the uh, guru guy, the that trains up quarterbacks. He said being a quarterback is all I've ever wanted and I'm going to get there one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course we know that he did, but also we know that by kneeling, it was taken away from him. And right. I think that that's what they're, I, I think as an artistic form, what they're establishing is they're just like letting us know over and over again in the episodes that this is all he's ever wanted. And he works really hard for it and he's really good at it and he deserves a chance. Um, he even said, like, he just dreams about being in the Super Bowl, which, of course, we know he ended up doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that makes it so much stronger of an emphasis to know that it was taken away from him, this thing that he had dedicated his whole life to and it had earned. Um, I I love that he pointed out there was a, there was a part in the episode where he was pretending to create a quarterback on a video game. Um, you know, so you get like a sports video game and you can create, you can create the characters or the players or whatever. And he made a good point. He said, if you're, if you're making a character, let's say you're going to, you're playing a video game, you're going to make the quarterback. It's actually normal and natural to make that in your own image to make the quarterback look like you it's it's kind of what most people do they want the star of their team to look like them on the digital nothing nothing wrong with that at all it's normal but then but then you go further with it and you go but in real life the all the you know they're white owners Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: they want their prototype their their idealized version of that position and basically an extension of the team an extension of them Mm-hmm. and so they're going to make that person in their image right and that, you know so that that made a lot of a lot of sense to me um about prototype you know mm-hmm. kind of circling back to what we've said, but it it's like it's like um, this isn't a video game where you're just playing for your own pleasure this is this is an entire organization of real humans hmm Um, so it just kind of, I don't know, it breaks my heart to think that, that this exists, but it also really breaks my heart to think on any level, it would actually be discussed. Like, or I, I guess I'm just assuming it would be discussed, like, or maybe it's not ever said, it's just, it just happens. I don't know. I've I've certainly never heard anyone say, no, we're not gonna let this guy do this because he's black. I've never heard anyone say that. But I've right. definitely I've definitely read the room and knew
3: that's what was happening. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's that's so big. And I think what you were saying, like his biggest dream was like to get to the Super Bowl and everything and be an NFL quarterback. But he was so willing to lose it all just for this cause is that's an inspiring thing Mm it's a beautiful thing to me because it you have pretty much a dream of a lot of kids you know like a once in a lifetime opportunity to like make it to the league you made it to the nfl that is unreal that's an unreal experience that the closest I'll ever get to it is playing Madden and making myself in the video game, you know, but you made it, you made your video game a reality. And as soon as you stand up for something, you don't fit that mold that this owner wants you to fit of my franchise guy, of my guy who, who is an extension of me. Um, then it's all hell breaks loose. And, um, And I think the fans definitely tried to get Colin Kaepernick out of there so fast, too, because they made it a military thing. And it was saying that. Um, But Colin Kaepernick literally consulted with a military vet. Mm -hmm. And I think before they were sitting, they were sitting during the national anthem. And he said, hey, I would rather you kneel. That would that would mean more if you if you knelt. That's the word. It more, and, it,
2: it, it's more respectful than sitting, I think. As though I was correct. Body. Yeah,
3: yeah. And he did that. He listened. He took sought counsel, and he listened. It was never a military thing. No. And and it's it's such a weird dynamic, and I don't even know, a complex for people who are so. I get so emotional about this but so they they're so attached and like think that this national anthem means the entire world to them that is such a frustrating thing to me it's uh, it's a little bit of words and i mean it's it's words that were made in 1800s 1700s i, I, I 17 whatever and a lot of What America was built on is not something to be proud of. It's not something to want to die by this national anthem. I don't understand it. And maybe you could attest or answer to that as to why people get so, so, why are you so all of a sudden patriotic about this national anthem now that a black man is kneeling when you sing it? And it's also, a great move for Colin Kaepernick to bring its awareness to this because who would have thought that kneeling during a national anthem would do this?
2: I did not think there was going to be such severe consequences for him. I didn't see it coming. I, my my opinion is if you benefit from a system, mm-hmm. then you have kind of a choice to make. One is you can just remain maybe purposefully remain ignorant to the fact that you're benefiting from the system and others are not. And so choosing to say that the system is good because it helps you Mm. or once you realize it, say it's not a good system. Mm. And and so I think what happens is uh, when, when he knelt, it kind of drew a line in the sand for some people. And then they just finally do very clearly pick which one they're going to be remaining ignorant and saying no, it's a wonderful system. How could you ever challenge it? Or go, oh wow, it isn't a wonderful system. And I think COVID did some of that revealing. I think uh among mm-hmm. Aubrey mur- murder, George Floyd, George Floyd murder, and many other murders that also did that line in the sand where you go, oh, and that's what that's what Colin says. And I've heard, I don't think it's unique. I don't think he came up with this phrase, but it's in the episode where he says um, the system isn't broken. It was intentionally built this way. Mm. You know, I've heard that from several others and I've watched some other documentaries that got into that stuff and um, you know, everything. Well, there's just so much, there's so much to talk about there, but um, once, once you see that, or I should say, I mean, I, I would imagine you've always known that. But if, you, as a, a white person, once you see it, you have to either decide to to unsee it and be blinded to it, and thus, like, say, I'm doubling down on my own benefit of this system, or you have to then change. And I think what happened was he knelt. And some people went. Why did he do that? Oh, um, um, to bring awareness to uh, black met, black people being mistreated by law enforcement and other things too, but like um, police brutality and some other things. But basically, revealing, hey, the system's broken, or this, or, or sorry, the system is flawed. And if you don't like that, and I think that. I think there's a huge aspect to this where once you realize something that your own, the thing that you're benefiting from is broken, once you see it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you have a big decision to make. But if you, if you want to keep benefiting from it indefinitely and, you're, and the generations after you to benefit from it indefinitely, the, at least the way that, you, that it has been, you have to try to stop that movement.
3: That's right. That's right. And yeah, it's. I think Dave Chappelle did a really good part of this. He was like, "Who would have thought that just kneeling during a forty-five second an- anthem or whatever national anthem would have like hit hit the oppressors so hard in their in their privilege?" Yeah, yeah I
1: remember that bit.
2: Where
3: he's like boom and I, yeah <laughs> just kneeling and like crippled people <laughs> I'm like oh yeah it, it, it's it is crazy and like even thinking as a kid like having to say the national or, or say the pledge of allegiance every single morning like that's so unnecessary to me what why do i need a pledge of allegiance to to my to my country that hasn't even pledged allegiance to myself or pledge to protect my people or pledge Mm -hmm. to protect my siblings or my family? Like, why am I pledging allegiance to such a flawed, broken, corrupt system that was built on that corruption and everything, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. When you go, okay, let's say rewind time. Um, I don't know how long people have been doing the Pledge of Allegiance, but let's just rewind time and go, oh, you want me to pledge allegiance to a flag and I am three-fifths of a person. Your, mm. And I'm supposed to pledge allegiance to you for that. Or, or let's say uh a woman saying, Oh, I'm supposed to pledge allegiance and I'm not even allowed to vote.
1: Mm.
2: Um, I'm I'm supposed to pledge allegiance and I'm not allowed to use the same water fountain as you, but I'm supposed to completely dedicate my life and sing the song and say the thing to
1: kind your country. The,
2: yeah, to your country. I also it kind of just on a side note, it really creeps me out, especially as somebody who you know, I want to pledge my allegiance to, um, well, that's a strong thing to say, but I want to pledge allegiance to like, um, to God, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, it's, it's always my whole life, even before I was aware of anything of how it would affect, um, some people of color it way before I even thought about that, I thought like, I don't even understand why we're doing this
3: with a flag. Like, <laughs> you know, it's weird. <laughs> It's a flag. I I don't understand it. And I I know I step on, on toads when I say that. And I know like, cause I have one of my best friends. He's in the military. He he just got out. He lives in San Diego now. And he would tell me about like the people, there's people that you'll meet in the military that will like proudly, proudly, proudly die for the American flag. And that's your your prerogative. I, I, not saying that you are a bad person or that you're crazy for that but i'm not dying for a flag that has doesn't protect me i like when when um trump was in office and there was like talks of maybe doing a draft because we might be going to war with north korea like i'm not dying for donald trump what why do i look like that doesn't make sense to me like i don't really understand it and i and I mean, I'm not saying that we don't need a military. Don't hear that. I'm sure we could bless, we could defund it quite a bit and put it into other resources. That's a whole another conversation. But I just think, yeah, the pledging of allegiance in the national anthem, it's kind of culty in some ways. Sometimes like when you really like listen to it, you're like, whoa, like I, I don't really think, I don't believe a lot of the stuff in it. I don't pledge allegiance to the flag that doesn't, pledge to save or protect my people so mm-hmm. maybe yeah I until we can that do that
2: one of the things that i le- have you seen hamilton yet i have not seen it i, I have the soundtrack on my phone though <laughs> it's really yeah it's a good soundtrack uh so I, one of the things that i that i learned by watching hamilton was kind of bringing this awareness to the idea of this country is good the the premise of what they were saying like all all men created equal that's a great sentence it's a great start to a country but there were a yeah. lot of fl- flaws in how they implemented that for instance they literally only meant men and they literally only meant white men so yeah. the sentence all men are created equal beautiful sentence absolutely wonderful thing for a country to be dedicated to. And I signed me up, but that's not what it actually is. <laughs> it's a great yeah. sentence. Right. And so I think what Hamilton taught me was, Hey, let's keep
1: working on that and making it more true.
3: And, you know, I just thought of something. Why the people who go so hard for the flag, the The American flag and everything. If you love it so much, why do you keep trying to demask it and deface it and blue line through it? Mm-hmm. If you love the American flag so much, why are you why are you changing it? If you yeah, would, why do you want different colors on it? Yeah, I, I mm, that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that.
2: And if you yeah. love it, and if you love it so much, and if you're super into Constitution and all these things then you would want to pursue more equality. You would want to progress in to have it progress into being finally being what we said that it was going to be.
3: 100%.
2: So that's why I like the idea. I like the idea of America. And, Mm. you know, it's so easy to it's so easy to uh, to get mad at the founding fathers for that. But they were just an extension of the whole culture and the whole world, really, like the whole right. um, European world. And uh, so it's like, yeah, they were wrong, but it, they were, it wasn't like everyone else was cool except the founding fathers were racist. That's that's not how it goes. It was like a whole racist system that it was just implied yeah. and embedded in and assumed the whole time. So they were, they, you know, I, I like to believe that they were in their own, limited understanding of things actually bringing progress to the world but they just didn't it didn't occur to them for the progress to go further than what they had experienced or what they had thought right and so it's like it it does i don't think it does any good i guess my point is it doesn't do any good to just get mad at them
3: right right
2: right. they, they took a step in the right direction but didn't think of how what we would see is so obviously wrong uh but let's keep it going and you know that let, let's keep let's keep thinking about what equality means
1: and how to and how
2: to pursue that so um let's see here do you remember the guy um at the at the quarterback camp there was another player mm-hmm. that was older than colin and he gave mm-hmm. him advice and said listen to what listen to what people are telling you and figure out what they're really saying. That was some of his advice. Um, that's something that, I mean, I feel like that's a really good life skill for anyone, but I would say within the context of Colin in black and white, young black male quarterback, uh, in, in primarily white town, uh, what does that mean? What
3: does that advice mean? Yeah, that that really means really try to figure out, decipher what people want from you, what they want out of you. And and in in retrospect, that could be saying figure out if people are just trying to use you as well. Um, Because I think Colin was like, he had a problem with like the fact that he got sent over to like, kind of like the B squad quarterbacks and wasn't being able to like practice with like the elite guys, like the guy that um, the friend that came down and like gave him the advice. But I think what he's saying there is like this guy might be trying to push you and test you and like see if you're going to crack or see if you're going to be another another black quarterback that that's too, too, you know, like cocky or something or too about himself to like, really, really work hard or something like that mold. I think that's great advice in anything in life as well as what you're saying though, because mm-hmm. really try to figure you can hear, but like, really like, listen, cause like, especially in a town like Boone, there's microaggressions everywhere. um, And I think that's something that I learned is really listening. And if I got hit with the microaggression, like when I was 15 or 16, I would have known. Um, I had teachers saying some outlandish stuff to me at Wataga. Like um, we would do, I was in um, a a science class talking about diabetes one day. And um, our teacher was like, and diabetes is very high prevalent. In the black community, Raheem. And I was like, bro, like, I laughed it off at the time because I had to. But, like, looking back at that, he's still a teacher there. Looking back at that, it's not, that's not okay. That's a microaggression towards me. And, like, I hear you now. someone hits me with a microaggression now, that's getting nipped in the butt immediately. Because I'm old enough to discern that and old enough to, like, understand what, you're trying to say to me but saying that to a high schooler
2: yeah yeah and it reminds me of when when that coach said when the jv coach or whatever the high school football coach said like quarterbacks need more than just natural talent Mm.
1: um
2: yeah what do you need what are you really saying yeah you know you didn't say it directly but what are you really saying so how do you how do you that's a tough one for me because sometimes I like with microaggression, sometimes I feel like things that I say are accidentally insensitive or accidentally racist or accidentally drawing attention to something. How do you know like when you're listening to me or listening to mm-hmm. anyone, how do you know the difference? between a microaggression
3: and just me not really saying it how I should say it. That's right. Uh, I think getting to know the person for sure. So I I know your heart and I know that I could correct you if you might've said something and you wouldn't say it again. And, And I know you wouldn't say something intentionally to try and bring me down or try and like bring down Black people. I know it's not your heart, but maybe someone that I don't know who is saying something to me that doesn't know that they might be being racist or doesn't know any better, you have to give that benefit of the doubt. And that's another have to that sucks, like the having to prove yourself Mm -hmm. that Colin was talking about. I think that you have to give the person the benefit of the doubt. And that's the way my parents raised me and educate them on that first time. The first time they say, it, don't let it get habitual. First time I say it. But if it happens more, then that's when you have to actually like, I mean, I've cut off a lot of people in my life for microaggressions, really macro, if that's a word for it, macroaggressions. But yeah, I think um, education for sure, uh, getting to know that person, Cause if you know a person, you know, a person's heart, you know, that like black people for sure can tell off the bat if you're probably racist or not, you, it's just something that you're born with or you can tell that someone is probably not accepting of black people. And it's a trait that I'm thankful for and a radar that I'm thankful to have. Um, but I'll still give someone the benefit of the doubt to educate them on that first time or that first macro- microaggression. Be like, hey, that was like really not OK what you said. Like there is my parents church. There's a guy that got up there in the pulpit and he said he he said something about colored people. And I mean, my my mom's head almost spun all the way around in 360. And my dad was like, "I'm gonna like talk to him first, and obviously he didn't mean anything hurtful by the pulpit. He didn't know any better, and so my dad educated him, and he didn't say it again, but like my mom was like, What color are we what are you what are you saying? colored people? what color are we? you know like
2: yeah, and that's that's like a it's an outdated phrase, although N, NAACP still uses it but right. uh, but um it it's like a progression of language and a change of language so then there was african-american or maybe black or then sometimes you say people of color which includes more than just black and then of course your skin isn't even the color black so that's not even the right word but you know that's right but but anyway i would say that if you don't know what to say then you have a little window of time that someone can correct you but I, I would mm-hmm. argue that more importantly than that is what was he saying about colored people <laughs> right like uh, <laughs> it's it was, a, it's a wrong phrase yeah. but the, maybe just as important was what what was his point about colored people
3: yeah I for I forget the actual sermon I don't think I was actually at church that day and i think i was told about it after but i think he was more so talking about like in a biblical term how colored people were treated then versus now type of thing i would have to ask yeah. i'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure but i know this guy and i know that he doesn't know that he was being microaggressively racist and i I struggle
2: with that every time i say the whenever i say black Mm -hmm. i there's this thing in my mind that i'm like am i is that even what i'm supposed to say or if i say african-american i go is that what i'm supposed to say because not every black person i know is african-american that's true right so then i'm like so you're not black you're not the color black it's a false construct
3: yeah And I think people reaching out and trying to get educated on that, like my neighbor who lives across the street from us, um, ever since uh, he might be probably one of the biggest like Republicans, conservative people I've ever met. But ever since like a lot of this stuff has happened, I'll be driving home and coming up our driveway and he'll pull pull me over and we'll talk for 30 minutes and we'll talk about these types of things. And like, I feel like I'm educating him because he's not connected in that. In that world of what's going on, really. So he, like, one time he pulled me over, and it was over the the I can't remember his name, and it's sad that there's so many shootings. That I can't remember names. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But it was in Minnesota, I believe, or somewhere in the Midwest, where the guy had the air freshener in you his know. um, in his uh, on his mirror. And I had mine on and he was like, yo, you know, it's illegal to do like, I don't want you getting get in trouble. And I was like, um, yeah, well, I'm not too worried about it. If I get pulled over for that in my, in my window and I die over that, that's, it's nuts to even even say that I have air freshener trying to make my car smell good and kill me. Um, that's crazy. But yeah. And then that conversation turned to, hey, uh, is that saying African-American like incorrect or black or what? And I was like, I'm black. You you can call me black, but that can change with other people. Maybe they prefer African-American. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be an awkward conversation on the other side of that for you all to say, hey, do I call you African-American or black? And I know that can, that can be awkward and kind of aggressive too sometimes. And like, do you have the right footing to do that? It's hard, but I would just like, mm-hmm. Say that you're a human being to start out with, and then yeah. make that relationship to start going. From it that. is it,
2: it, it is natural to describe a person based on how they look. If you're talking about someone and they, who is that again? Yeah, it, it's normal. Even like our kids before they learned any of this vocabulary, uh, they would say something like they describe somebody on TV or at school or whatever, and I'd say, "Who is that?" And they and I remember gray she's almost 12 now but she was you know maybe five or something and she was like Mm -hmm. um he has brown skin and that's how she described it because she didn't even know the phrase black or african-american she said oh he has brown skin and it's actually especially if you're in a town and in a school that has predominantly white it actually makes Mm. sense to say he's the guy with the brown skin and that there she was, there's not a racist intention in that at all. It's a descriptive way. Right. Um, it just, kind of makes sense to, to, to do that. Um, right. Of course, you know, but then of course, what if you're, you have brown skin and you are with a whole bunch of other people with brown skin, you're not going to say, you know, the guy with brown skin, then it doesn't work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, so I think the intentionality, I think, you know, but it, 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 it's kind of a, it can be a sensitive thing, I think.
1: Yeah. To figure out,
2: um, I love that, that other guy, I can't remember his name cause it, it, it only his character, his name's only mentioned a couple of times, the high, the high school quarterback that was at the, co- um, the quarterback camp that was older mm-hmm. than Colin. I, he said his name, but I can't remember. He said, you're a quarterback, Colin, never doubt that. Mm. And I felt like that's really important for somebody older than you within the same sport or same career, uh, in particular, also probably same um, life circumstance to say, to affirm that in him. And then his dad, shortly after that, and the, the episode ends shortly after, then his dad says to him in the car, congratulations, quarterback. And so that's cool. It's like a dad thing. But then Colin's reply was, I never doubted myself. I always knew I was a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't think he was saying it to be rude to his dad. He kind of like turned away and he was almost saying it to himself, I think. I mean, I think his dad heard him. Yeah. But, um,
1: And I think that's a, it's a really important thing to, to believe in yourself, Mm.
2: but you do it. maybe not need other people to affirm it, but it's helpful for other people to affirm that, especially those two circumstances, uh, a a young man older than him, and and then also his father, just to say, you are a quarterback, you know, because he kept saying, I'm a quarterback. And then he was hearing people go, what, how about receiver instead? you know, not sure you are. And he's like, I am, I am, I am. Yeah. Who knows if he had, you know, if a young man really, I mean, you could argue even not quite a man yet at that age, but a young man, can you keep going if zero people ever affirm that you are the thing that you're trying to be? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I know obviously people overcome that, but would he have, if it wasn't
3: for that guy, would he have, if it wasn't for, his? Yeah. Dad? you know, and that's yeah, that's so true. I think it does take a, a couple people believing in you, and also like affirming you. Like I saw the other day, um, was Bryce Young, and I forget the really good, the really good defensive end for Alabama had a hell of a game. He was balling. It was it was really great. But they're getting up further from their press conference. And Nick Saban makes him sit back down mm-hmm. and he's like, I just want you guys to know these guys were harder than I've ever had in my program. One game does not define who these kids are. Because right. I think Bryce Young's a freshman or a sophomore unreal that he made it to the championship that year already, but um, like just really affirming and standing by his guys. And those players will never, ever forget that. They'll never forget how they they just lost the national championship on national TV in front of everyone, and their coach still stood by them, still brought them up so high, even though like uh, I mean losing a national championship is gut wrenching, I'm sure. And I yeah, really be. dis I really dislike Alabama because they're always good, but I think that's that's all it takes. I think um, I think of my little cousin. My dad doesn't play football. <laughs> my dad doesn't doesn't. Like, really, even love or understand the game of football. He was born and raised in London, so he's like been football, soccer to him. Like, he's that's all he played. And like, netball, he's played this game called netball where it's like basketball, but there's no backboard really weird. But, um, yeah, like, if Kyle, if I don't like, if COVID doesn't happen for one, I'm probably not at home as much helping him out with his game, like figuring out what he wants to do because he doesn't have the outlet to go and train like that unless he's playing for a team. So I think it takes more than, like Colin did, it takes more than just playing for the team. I think you go to practices to get better as a team, but putting in individual work takes that someone believing in you and taking you to those trainings or like, you know, getting you to that point. And I mean, I'm sure Colin might've said Or I I know he said, like, I always believed I was a quarterback and everything, but I'm sure he had doubts sometimes too, you know? Yeah,
2: everybody, everybody has, has doubts. I remember being 21. I just graduated from college. I went to seminary and I was in my first year of seminary and Dr. Harvey Schwapsher, my Hebrew professor, and later on also Greek professor. He's the first person who ever told me I was a teacher. Well, wow. like I said something in Hebrew class, I can't even remember what it was, but just something about the root word of something. And I, and he goes, can I talk to you after class? And everyone left and he just looked at me and he went, you're a teacher. And I, it's like, it, it made a deep impression on me. And then, then uh, it took me probably five more years and dozens of more people saying, you're a teacher before I started to really believe it.
1: Mm.
2: You know, so it's it's like I think it's helpful. You don't, you know, unless you have like really, really rare drive in you. Everybody needs some com- community and support, even guys that you would just say they're so driven independently. Let's say somebody like a Tom Brady who's just like oh, yeah. works and works and works and watches film. I don't know this to be true, but I, I would bet a lot of money on, he had a support system who
3: believed in him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was his dad. There's a really, like, it might make you cry interview mm-hmm. where he's talking about his dad, like how his dad like was, cause not a lot of people believe in Tom Brady he was the sixth round pick or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing coming out of Michigan. And I mean, in retrospect, his dad probably built that foundation for him to like, Keep going, and then Bill Belichick gives them the chance. And yeah, that's yeah, the greatest football player to ever play. Yeah, unbelievable. I I enjoy those stories more because it gives kids nowadays the hope. Like seeing a Tom Brady go in the sixth round, but become the greatest at his sport is that's great. Because like, not everyone's going to be a LeBron James prodigy making $16 million before you even get to the NBA and like, you know, like the hypes around you. And sometimes I think that could be detrimental to the expectation of these kids going into these sports of like, like the guy who just went to uh, Jackson state, the number one player yeah. in the nation who chose Jackson state over Florida state. Mm-hmm. He still has crazy expectations on him to be the best. You're number one in the nation at football. Yeah. That means you have to play that way. You Which know? means
2: if they but, lose even one game, some people will say that he let the whole program down or something like
3: right. that. Right. Which is so <laughs> tough to put on an 18 year old kid. You yeah. know, like uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. it's
3: so much weight. But also, I was so happy to see him choose a HBCU over Florida State, and I hope that's a tide turning because there's some great HBCUs out here who are very, very competitive in sports. North Carolina A&T. Beat Mm -hmm. my alma mater while I was there. They beat Mm -hmm. UNCC. They beat uh, I think they beat Carolina. They beat someone another big D one school. And like I I hope that I hope that
2: there's a shift. I hope this rocks rocks the uh, college football world. It's uh, it's an uphill battle for many reasons. One of which being they're not in the Power Five. Money if they go undefeated the chances Mm -hmm. of them having an opportunity to play for a national championship is slim to none based on the current system. Um, I think Cincinnati might have helped a little bit in that, but not enough for Jackson state to be in the national championship next year, nor should there even be that pressure for him. Well, hold on. Let me, let me start over. Every team should want to win the national championship. Uh, that's you know what I mean you should be in the locker room and say I don't care what anyone says we're going to be the best I think that's good but I don't think that there should be so much external expectation for him to go undefeated or else he's a failure or let everybody down that's crap but in the locker room they should be like we're the best in the
3: world you know (laughs) yeah and Cincinnati is already leaving their American conference they're going to a power five this year yeah and they, e. and
2: they said they were honest. They, do you think this is helping with the? Uh, he was like, "We're not representing anybody
3: but Cincinnati." You know, <laughs> which is fair. I mean, because mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't think Cincinnati deserved number four, even though they're undefeated, because they were playing in the American Conference, and that's. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Power I, Five is built. So I was happy wrong.
2: that I was happy that they had the opportunity. Uh, they, they deserved it. And I know you're not supposed to think about the previous year, but they only lost by a field goal to Georgia the previous year. Right. I think they deserve to be there. And I think even though they lost, they still played well and they, they did not embarrass themselves at all. They just didn't win the game. That's Um, right.
3: Michigan embarrassed themselves.
2: (laughs) Georgia smacked
3: the crap out of them. Mm
2: -hmm. I was so glad for Cincinnati's sake, that Michigan got beat bad so that it wasn't like all the games were close except one. Like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I don't pull for any of the schools that were in the top four. So I was like, I I just like an underdog story. I was, I was wanting to pull it out, you know, but, uh, well, thanks so much for, for your time, man. Um, you know, there's, There's, you know, plenty more episodes and I've heard that they picked up, they're going to have a second season of Colin in black and white.
3: That's awesome.
2: So I'm guessing it'll be more related to him in college going to the pros and then maybe in the pros, or maybe they'll pick up a third season and then they'll start doing the story of actually him kneeling and they'll focus on that more. Mm. I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing.
3: Um, I'm excited for that. That's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be really good. But thanks for having me as well. Always a great time. Great series. If you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and start it. It it will it'll definitely make you think. And I think that's that's something that we kind of lack in in uh media nowadays or like television and stuff that we watch is like things that actually like make you like thought provoking thoughts yeah. and like deep thoughts and like Oh, what ifs and stuff, so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I
2: appreciate the insight and uh, look forward to the next one. Yeah, man.
0: Told you. Hey, if you have not yet gone to my Patreon account, would you consider doing that? Patreon is a platform where people can support or become a patron of creators. And so I create this podcast, I create video teaching shorts, and I have 87 active patrons right now that make things about things possible. Would you like to become number 88? My goal is 300. And, you know, got a ways. love to hit the 100 number. So whether it be a dollar a month or more, you go to patreon.com slash thingsaboutthings. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thingsaboutthings, patreon.com slash thingsaboutthings. You pick whatever number per month is comfortable for you to support my work. And then you get stuff, whether it be exclusive content, uh, mail, uh, mail people stickers and art prints and copies of my book and all sorts of things like that. And then there's patron-only uh, episodes that I release from time to time. So yeah, just go to patreon.com thingsaboutthings, give a buck or more, and it would really, really help me continue my work. Thanks for, for considering. And as always, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things.